Hello and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and I am super excited to be with you today. If you're a first-time listener, hello. And if you've been a long-time listener, welcome back. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so, and hit the share button. It really helps to get this stuff out. A Ray of Hope is involved in so many aspects of film, music, live events and virtual events and this podcast gives us an opportunity and outlet really to tackle some deeper topics and subjects about our faith so let me ask you a question did you ever think about dying and if so whether or not you would go to heaven i really didn't start to think about this till i hit my 50s at that time i started to reevaluate my life i i didn't really go through a midlife crisis But I did go through a crisis of faith. I started to question everything. Whether God is real, is the Catholic Church the one true church that Jesus started? Are the sacraments real? And did Jesus institute those sacraments? I was searching. I was searching for the truth. I was looking for meaning and purpose in my life. I started to have this deep desire to understand and know my faith. And as I got to see and understand God more clearly, I started to ask myself some hard questions. Am I living according to God's plan? Am I avoiding sin? Am I being honest with myself about being a true Catholic? A Catholic that recognizes the teachings of the church and then follows them. And if I'm not, and if I were to die and eternity is real, which means forever, by the way, and heaven and hell were real, well, I thought about it and I probably wasn't going to end up in heaven if I continued to live the life I did. And man, that really started to scare me. When Jesus walked the earth, he talked about salvation and how to attain it. He asked us to follow him. Are we taking Jesus's words seriously? Do we truly work at our salvation? Well, today's podcast, we're going to talk about this very subject. Our guest today is Ralph Martin and our theme is who will be saved. Hopefully it's you and I, right? This is going to be an eye-opening segment. So welcome to A Reason for Hope. And here we go. So David, how are you today? Everything good? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, Mario. How are you? Good, good. Not too bad. Really moving along. It's always fun stuff here at Array of Hope. So uh, we're back doing another podcast. Are you ready? I'm ready. You're ready. Let's do it. So I guess before we jump into this, um, I know that you live, uh, you actually live in a historic house, an old house, right? Yeah, 1865. I'm sure there have been many times where you've had to fix some things and had some projects or, right? All the time. What it was yeah, that that's, like? That's the the blessing of an old house is that you just nobody makes them like that anymore. I mean, mm. so I could never replace like the mahogany staircase that I have. Oh yeah, but like wow, that's beautiful. The, the 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 cross of an old house, you could say, is that there's always something to fix. Wow, and it's no different with us. It's a bear. You yeah. know, we've got the old steam heat, so it always sounds like there's somebody with a wrench in the basement banging the pipes. You know, always sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> Sometimes it's scary in the morning when you're up I'm alone, sure. nobody else, and it's like wham. <laughs> wow, yeah. So Mario, how about you? Do you have any projects going on? Um, I've always got projects going on. Are you a do-it-yourselfer, like a DIY guy? Well, this is the deal. I I don't know if I actually admitted this. Uh, Many people know from the podcast that I'm Italian, first generation. So that means Uh, obviously yes. Well, well, my my (laughs) father did not uh, bring me up as a handy guy. He didn't have much skill as that person. So I didn't really learn from him. So I'm not a handy guy at all. As a matter of fact, uh, if my wife is listening to this, she's laughing hysterically (laughs) right now uh, (laughs) because I'm always challenged about trying to do stuff around the house. Yeah. Yeah. That's me, by the way. My kids do not get me power tools for Father's Day. It's the last thing they should get me, actually, because it'd be dangerous, actually. Mm. (laughs) It's my wife. She's the one who really knows how to use a chainsaw. 
But like I am so, and I've tried not to let it like, you know, allow me to be insecure about my masculinity that I don't mm. like doing like home projects, but yeah. I just don't. Yeah. I just don't, and I'm not good at it. So mm. it's good that I don't. I usually, I always go right to calling an expert because. Yeah, yeah me too. I'm just going to mess it up. It's going to cost me more money. Yeah. I mean, I've started things a million times and then said, uh-oh, uh, I am doing this completely wrong. Let me check on YouTube or let me call my friend. I have a friend named Artie who's like a handy guy. He knows how to do everything, heating, plumbing, electric. I'm always calling him, Artie, uh, I, I think I'm doing this really wrong. What do I do? Yeah. And he's always helping me out. Yeah. There are some people who just have a gift, and I'm not one of them. I always need help. You know, on some level, this is a segue into our topic in, in an odd sort of backdoor kind of way, uh, because today we're going to discuss the, the topic of who can be saved. You know, mm. what does it mean that, that Jesus saves us and, and who's included in that? And we have, uh, the, you know, the well-known evangelist, teacher, and theologian Ralph Martin yeah. on, our, on our podcast today. And, uh, and I think that we need to start by discussing why we need saving at all and and how we can't save ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's no DIY with regards to salvation. Right, <laughs> you right. know, like, yeah. you know, the first question I think that's important is, is why do we need saving at all? Mm. You know, and, and I don't think that many people are there. The whole notion that Jesus saves us, I think is lost on a lot of people mm. because I think that many people are like, oh, I'm good, so why do I need saving? Yeah. Well, it is uh, an interesting and difficult and and in some cases controversial topic, right? I mean, um, the question who will be saved, sometimes, um, you know, people will say, I'm a good person. I I always try to do good. Uh, Isn't that enough? But really, uh, on the contrary, it's not exactly what our faith teaches, right? Right. That's right. So, so, So I think the first thing we need to do is understand what salvation is and why we need saving. And I think this is connected to the fact that I think there's been a loss of a sense of sin. Mm. One of the things that we've done is we've normalized sin. Right. So instead of even seeing certain things as sin, we just make it normal and then it's not sin anymore. Um, so I think that that's really problematic, that if, if I don't have a real sense of sin— then I don't understand why I need somebody to save me from sin. And, and this is connected to the whole idea that we've, we've lost the notion of original sin, this idea that, you know, human beings are fallen, that we live in a fallen state, that we have a fallen nature. I remember when I was growing up, that was very commonplace. People sort of just accepted that as a truth about humanity. And, and yet that's not how people understand human nature anymore. Mm. Um, they don't, they don't even relate to this idea that somehow God created us a particular way, and then the first human beings did something that separated them from God, and not only did that, but had certain devastating effects for their own nature, that now their whole nature is out of whack, Mm. Um, that their relationship with God has been wounded and broken, that their relationship with one another has been wounded and broken, that we experience the the difficulties and the frustration and the evil even within human interactions as a result of our fallen nature, mm. that, that even within myself I'm broken, that I'm always at war with my own self, that I'll know the right thing to do and yet I'll feel weak or not even want to do it, you know? Or or I'll know the right thing to do, and I'll really genuinely want to do it, but I feel like the flesh is driving me in another direction, and I give in to the flesh because it's because I'm weak. Like So there's—or I, I, I don't even really know what the right thing to do is, and mm-hmm. I get confused. We have this, this real difficulty, or you might want to say inherent disorder in our own nature. It's like it's like we could be like that, that soda machine that you go to and you see out of order on it. It's like that could be human nature. We're out of order. Mm-hmm. Like, in the beginning, God— created created us to know the truth. And then the truth that we know, our wills would naturally follow and desire and choose. And that our bodies would take the direction of our souls. The soul being the form of the body was supposed to be the part of us that's in charge of the body. And and yet what we see is after the fall, everything is out of whack and, and upside down and backwards. If you look to actually St. Paul's letter to the Romans, I think this is always one of those powerful statements in the scripture because he nails this. And he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I work, I understand not. 
For the good which I will, I do not, but the evil which I will not, that I do. (laughs) I find then a law that when I have a will to do good, evil is present with me. For I am delighted with the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, fighting against the law of my mind and captivating me in the law of sin that is in my members. Unhappy man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? The grace of God by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, St. Paul there is identifying the human condition. Right. But he's saying that that human condition is a result of sin. And he's also identifying the fact that we're powerless to save ourselves, that even our best efforts at being good fail miserably, that we can't be the good we want to be. We can't do the good we want to do because of our fallen nature. So who's going to deliver us from that? Right. We need somebody else, somebody outside of us to deliver us, to save us. We can't DIY. Right. You know, and that's why we need Jesus. Yeah. That's why we need the sacraments. That we, that's why we need the, the grace right. that they deliver. Right. Yeah. Because Jesus makes a way. Mm-hmm. And see, this is another thing, too. I think we kind of underestimate how bad sin is. Like, we trivialize it. So, Fulton Sheen's great at this. He talks about why we need Jesus and why we actually can't even pay back the debt that we owe to God because of the offense of sin. So, he says that, like, you know how, how a punishment that you would get is not only based on the severity of the thing that you did, but it's also based on who you did it to. So, like, for example, like, you know, if you were to kill a stranger, that's bad, obviously, right? You know, terrible. But it's actually worse to kill your parents hmm. because of the nature of the relationship you have with the right. parent. You see, so who— the, the offenses against matters as well as what the offense is. Now, what kind of punishment would be deserved if the offense is against the almighty, infinite God? It would demand an infinite punishment. Mm. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they committed an infinite offense against the infinite God, which demanded an infinite punishment. However, here's the catch. Human beings are finite. So no human being can ever pay back an infinite debt. And yet, because human beings are the ones that committed the offense, they have to be the ones to pay it back. So they have to be the ones to pay back a debt they can't pay. And since we know something about mathematics, I'm not like a star, but I know this much, that if every human being that ever lived together sacrificed their life in payment of that debt, It still wouldn't be enough because it's not infinite. Right. But if we had a God-man who on behalf of man could pay the debt we have to pay, but because that man was God, could afford an infinite debt, then we could be saved. Mm. And that's why we need Jesus. Yeah. He's the God-man. Right. We can't save ourselves. Now, here's something that's interesting. This always blows my mind. Did you know just one drop of Jesus' blood would have been enough to pay back for sin? The reason why Jesus suffered so much by accepting the cross as his death was because it was the most fitting way to accomplish other ends in addition to our salvation. Two of those ends. One— to show us the severity of sin. Hmm. Two, to show us the magnitude of God's love. Yeah. I, you know, it really comes down to humility, I think, is that first of all, to realize that we're not sinless and we need God to reveal the sin within us and to recognize that we need God to overcome that sin because the mere fact of us saying to us, hey, I'm okay with God and I'm a good guy, is really deals with pride and and the lack of humility, I think. And the pride in the Garden of Eden that was the inspiration of the first sin. You have the tempter. That's right. Who is calling Adam and Eve to pride, Mm -hmm. making themselves gods. Yeah. That's what gets them closed out of paradise. Yeah. 
And so this is also something. Heaven is closed when Adam and Eve sin to everyone. This is why the whole, you know, well, I'm basically a good person, why it doesn't make any sense. What, there were no basically good people before Jesus came? (laughs) You know, like, it's like, of course, but maybe that wasn't it. Paradise was closed off because human beings had separated themselves from God, and they couldn't be reconciled to God because they couldn't pay back the debt. Yeah. And so there's— there's this sense that somehow you can have salvation without Jesus, and that's not possible. Some people think, well, God will always forgive me. As I said, the cross shows us the severity of sin. Did you know the St. Paul it lists in, in at least two different places right off the top of my head, 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5, there are lists of like behaviors that exclude you from the kingdom of God. Meaning, this is after you've been baptized, this is after you say you believe in Jesus, that there are things that you can do, sins you can commit, that cut you off. And it's not just, by the way, like being a serial killer. I think that most people think, you know, if I'm not a serial killer, then pretty much I'm getting in. Go take a look at St. Paul's list. You'll mm. be like, oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, and and so what does this mean? This means that it doesn't, we can't DIY our salvation. Salvation is a free gift, but it's not a free ride. Mm. It's not a free ride. Yeah. We're called to be transformed. Jesus calls us to be made new, to cooperate with his grace. And sure, if we sin and we are sorry, we ask God for forgiveness, he is righteous to forgive us. But let us not think that like we can't then once again fall back into slavery. Of course we can, and many do. Uh, St. Peter talks about this, that you know the, the second state is worse. It's like a dog returning to his vomit. See, that's the image St. Peter uses mm-hmm. to describe the person who has who is accepted Jesus but then fallen into sin. I mean, that's profound. Yeah. So— I think we have to be careful because while on the one hand we can't save ourselves and we need Jesus who dies and rises from the dead and gives us the grace and through faith and baptism we are saved, on the other hand, that doesn't mean that we don't have to do something. St. Paul talks about working out our salvation in fear and trembling. We got to do something. Of course. You know, we need to be converted. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what I think a lot of people also miss. They just kind of, they presume God's mercy as if, oh, God's going to forgive me. Well, yeah. like it says in Scripture, the road to salvation is narrow. Uh, the word road implies a journey. We're completely aware of the fact of what Jesus said in Scripture. And and I've always found it very interesting when people will say, I'm a relatively good guy, but but okay, but but Jesus says this, right? right. So why would we, we deny what Jesus said if we're followers of Christ, right? Well, this was awesome, Dave. This was a heavy topic. Yeah. And it's controversial in the sense that everyone has an opinion about it. Right. But really, the bottom line is what Christ's opinion is the one that right. matters the most Amen. in my book, you know? <laughs> That's right. So uh, let's keep that in the forefront. Thanks, Dave. Peace. Peace. All right, guys. Today I have a saint that I personally really love for you. So let's play Who's That Saint? Who's That Saint? One. Born in Quebec, Canada in 1845, this saint's early life was marked with much tragedy after being orphaned by the young age of 12. Soon after, he worked odd jobs to support himself, which meant that he received little formal education. Who's that saint? Clue two. From a young age, this saint felt inspired to become a priest. However, Due to his lack of education, he was resigned to having the position of a simple doorkeeper at Notre Dame College after entering religious life himself. Who am I talking about? Who's that saint? Clue three. During the plague that rocked the world during that time, this saint was charged with anointing the sick in his area. Using blessed oils lit in devotion to St. Joseph, this saint experienced miraculous curing of the ill, which actually drew so many people to him. This devotion to the foster father of Jesus inspired the saint to build a church in honor of St. Joseph, 
which still stands today. Can you believe it? All right, that was your last clue, everyone. Who is that saint? If you guessed St. Andre Bessette, then you are correct. God often uses the most humble souls to carry out the greatest work, and the life of St. Andre is a great example of just that. His humble service to those placed in his charge, his total obedience to God's will of him being a simple doorman, and his great devotion to St. Joseph led to many miracles in his lifetime and even more after his death through his intercession. In fact, if you ever have visited St. Joseph's oratory, you will have found a room with side altars to St. Joseph lined with canes, crutches, and walkers of those who have experienced miraculous healing through the intercession of St. Joseph and St. Andre, who used that exact blessed oil. Lastly, one of the things that I have found most endearing about the story of St. Andre is his ability and his desire to do whatever it took to bring about this devotion to St. Joseph. He actually would give haircuts for five cents apiece to fundraise the $200 necessary to build the first small, humble church that has eventually become this huge oratory. Can you believe that? He gave five-cent haircuts. Five cents is like nothing to us now, but in his time, it was a lot of money. And can you imagine how many haircuts that was to get $200 from five-cent haircuts? It's amazing. St. Andre Bessette truly had a devotion to St. Joseph and a desire to bring that about. So in the year of St. Joseph that we just passed, let us remember this miraculous saint who healed through the devotion of St. Joseph and continue that devotion in our lives moving forward. St. Andre Bessette, pray for us. Hey everybody, this is Jack, a Ray of Hope's Director of Music and Audio Production. Welcome back to The Music Corner, where we talk about all things Array of Hope music. Be sure to follow our band on your music streaming platform of choice. We have a lot of new music in the works, and you'll want to be in the loop when we release it to the world. Just search for Array of Hope. Today's podcast episode featuring Dr. Ralph Martin is pretty heavy duty. We're talking about eternal salvation after all. And who is it that tells us we can be saved? Jesus Christ, of course. He alone is the word of God made flesh. He alone is the light of the world. Psalm 119 verse 105 proclaims, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Our unreleased song that I'd like to share with you is called Light of the World. The church teaches that Jesus is the one who came into the world so as to light up the paths that we walk in our lives with love and truth so that through discerning and fulfilling his holy will, we can attain eternal salvation. So this song is a prayerful reminder that we all need Jesus in our lives, a reminder that he is our savior, that if we just reach out to him, he can change us into little Christs so that we can exude the joy of our Catholic faith and help our fellow human beings discover the light of the world. everybody we got some exciting news we have a whole new array of hope app and channel a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to god this is available on your desktop roku apple tv iphones and android mobile phones and tablets this channel has movies short faith-filled segments live events and programs you've got to check it out Go to your app store and type in Array of Hope. 
Our guest today is Dr. Ralph Martin. He is the president of Renewal Ministries and the director of graduate theology programs in evangelization and an associate professor of theology at the Sacred Heart Major Seminary in the Archdiocese of Detroit. He is the author of the widely read The Fulfillment of All Desire. And by the way, this is one of my favorite books, a guidebook for the journey to God based on all the wisdom of the saints and many other books on spirituality and evangelization. Let's welcome Ralph Martin. So, Ralph, uh, Dr. Ralph Martin, how are you today? I'm pretty good. It's a cold November day here in Michigan, and the leaves are falling, but Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Amen. Uh, it is a beautiful fall here on the, on the, uh, on the East Coast. Uh, mm -hmm. It is a bit brisk. I guess it's a little colder by you, right? Yeah, it's in the 30s today. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to speak with you. And I have to say, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people uh, in my secular uh, world or my secular career, uh, my other yeah. life. And I've yeah. interviewed a few people in the Catholic market. And, I, and I'm make, excited to speak with you because I feel that uh, we've got to know each other a little bit. We met this year at a couple events. And I, uh, I have to say... Um, uh, I want to share with the listeners, I love your heart. I love your honesty, and I love the way that you just convey the teachings of the church in a way that is really rooted through love. And I just want to share that with you. And uh, it's uh, I, I compliment you that uh, I'm sure you had to work at this for some time to kind of figure out the way to create that conduit that people will listen, right? And I think you've kind of mastered that. It's beautiful. Well, you know, it helps to get the hell knocked out of you, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It, it, yeah, that helps. Yeah, it, uh, the Holy Spirit and softening our hearts and all that. Amen. Yeah. Gives us humility and a, and a way to see the way that we can really reach people. So I like to start all my interviews very basic. So uh, tell me a little bit about you personally. Uh, were you a cradle Catholic? Are you a convert? What was you know what was the Ralph like when you were in school, high school, yeah. etc.? Yeah. 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 Sure. Well, I was born in New York City in the Bronx. I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey. Are you kidding you know? me? No, I'm not kidding you. This is where I, we're I, from. We're in Bergen County in New yeah, Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. a Teaneck so, boy. What high school yeah. did you go to? I went to Bergen Catholic High School in Oradell. That's 10 minutes from us. Yeah. Where, where, are, you, where are you located? We're in Old Japan, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah my sure. boys went to St. Joe's. Uh, it, it's crazy. That's wonderful. Yeah. I grew up in a good Catholic family. My grandparents came from Ireland and... They had a strong emphasis on the faith, on education. My parents did too. So I went to St. Anastasia's grade school in Teaneck, New Jersey, went to Bourbon Catholic High School in Oradell, New Jersey. And I, as a boy, I loved the Lord, and I believed everything the nuns told me. And I, I really wanted to be good. I really wanted to uh, not sin. Uh, but as I got older, uh, I began to raise my hand in religion class and say, you know, how do we know this is true, and where does the church get authority? And in the world, the flesh and the devil began to make their presence felt more, you know, intensely. And when it came time to go to college, I, I told my parents, I've had enough Catholic education. I <laughs> go to a secular college. And they said, well, you can go to a secular college if you want. But if you want any financial help, you got to go to a Catholic college. So uh, I decided at least to try to go as far away from home as I could. So I ended up at Notre Dame out in Indiana. And in those days, you know, Indiana was like the far west. You know, maybe it still is. I don't know. Uh, you know, people in New York and New Jersey used to think that. Uh, my parents literally said this. They 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 said the the inferior canned tuna fish is sent to the Midwest. Uh, you'll never find a good Italian restaurant. You'll never find a good Jewish <laughs> delicatessen. You know. No. And so they were really concerned. I was going to like Indian country. You know and. Well, I was at Notre Dame. I hope I'd find some answers. I was actually asking people questions. Why well, be a Catholic? And how do we know this is true? How do we know that is true? But eventually I became a philosophy major because I wanted to know the truth really bad. But I was getting more confused the more I studied philosophy. And I was caught up in the confusion of the 60s, which is back again. And, uh, mm. and it, wasn't, it wasn't until a friend invited me to make a Curcio weekend, which is like a weekend retreat that a lot of Catholics have been helped through. And uh, he just insisted, I didn't want to do it, but just to please him, I did. And uh, on, on that Curcio, at a certain point, I just felt like, you know, I think this Jesus they're talking about is is here. You know, I think he's in the retreat house. I think he really has been raised from the dead. I think he, you know, if, if he's been raised from the dead, he's the Lord. And 
I, I knew that the only sensible response to make to Jesus, if he really is the Lord, was total surrender. But I didn't know if I really wanted to do that. Mm. You know, I, I was looking forward to many enjoyable years of, of searching for truth on my own terms. And I, I was not really ready for my search to come to such a soon conclusion. And uh, I, I really wrestled and really struggled. And it wasn't until the last day of the Curcio that I swallowed my pride and went to confession and got reconciled with the Lord and the church. And and then at the end of the Curcio, I just felt like uh, this this love of God was flooding into my heart. And at, at the end of the Curcio, they, they'd let you say something about what you got out of it. And I remember what I said. I said, I want to spend the rest of my life knowing and loving Jesus and helping other people know and love him. And that's wow. basically that's really basically what it's been with lots of ups and downs and ins and outs, but that's what my life has been about. That's amazing. You know, um, Crisio was a predecessor to something I experienced called search in Bergen County. It's called yeah. search for Christian maturity. When I was a kid, I went on it and uh, I had a similar experience, or at least it was the first sort of uh, introduction I had to the heart of Jesus. You know, I was a kid, I was very influenced by uh, really the things around me and it was really popular movement. And I think, cause there was a, uh, th there was similar things like there was a palanca where people would read yep. a letter, right? Right. There was a segment right. where you would reflect upon a cross and there yeah. was an offering. Right. A church, you know, so all these things, I remember when I got a little bit more involved in search that, uh, which was really influential in a lot of my friends. As a matter of fact, that's indirectly how I met my wife. My wife was on one of those weekends and we kind of mm -hmm. met. So uh, that's a good place to meet a Catholic girl. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah. So um, is it safe to say that, um, was that the transformative moment in your life where you literally fell in love or was it a little bit later in life where you really start to connect with the, you know, the person of Jesus and really start to fall in love with who God is? Well, I, I felt like I really had a real relationship with the Lord as a boy that I kind of lost as I grew up. And that Curcio was definitely the main turning point in my life. And even, even though I struggled after that in different ways, I never, I never could turn back. I knew that Jesus was real, and I started to pray. I started to read the scripture. I started to share him with other people. Uh, I went back to graduate school at Princeton the next year after I graduated from Notre Dame, and I actually got 25 of my fellow grad students at Princeton to make the Curcio, got them into small groups. And I just realized that what I really wanted to do, I, I had found the truth. I didn't want to study philosophy anymore. I wanted to preach the gospel. So. A friend and myself went to a, a monastery in upstate New York, Mount Savior Monastery in Elmira, New York, and hmm. decided to spend our summer after our first year at grad school just kind of like asking the Lord, hey, what, what should our future be? We hadn't really submitted our you know career plans to the Lord. And we kept getting the scripture passage that uh, kept saying, sell you, haven't come follow me. And we had studied enough you know Bible classes to know that you're not supposed to take those things literally. And so... At the end of the summer, we went to the prior of the monastery and said, we keep getting this passage, but we think we should probably go back to grad school. What do you think? And the, the priest said, uh, well, if you really think Jesus is asking you to sell and follow him, you should do that. So uh, he shocked us. He surprised us. We turned wow. in our fellowships at graduate school, and my parents got really upset. My dad flew up to Elmira to try to talk me out of it. Uh, we started hitchhiking across the country. Uh, we passed through Kansas City where the first National Curcio Conference was going on. And uh, to make a long story short, we got asked to come, move to Lansing, Michigan, where the first national office for the Curcio movement was established. And we did that. We began doing campus ministry at Michigan State University at the Catholic Student Center. And eventually we ended up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and uh, all kinds of other things began to happen. And sooner or later, I studied theology, began teaching at the seminaries, founded Renewal Ministries, got married, have six children, 19 grandchildren. Wow. And here we are. Try, <laughs> try to do the same thing today as, you know, trying to know and love Jesus more and help other people know and love him too. So that's that's the story. Amen. Uh, you're a blessed man. That's a beautiful story. Uh, one, one of the things when we first met, I think we met this summer uh, in California, I share with you uh you know, that I'd read some of your books, uh, The Fulfillment of All Desire, and then was introduced to your book, you know, A, a Crisis in the Church. And I share with you that uh, after I became a little bit more informed as to what's happening in the church, I, I kind of 
uh, was inspired to request all our employees and our team members to read that book. And I shared that with yeah. you and you said, oh, wow, that's great. And yeah. initially I, I was a little hesitant in the sense that I didn't want to scandalize young people because there's a lot of young right. people here and make them feel like, oh my God, what am I part of? But then the Holy yeah. Spirit conveyed to me that it's really important to understand, you know, what's happening in our culture, what's happening in our church to become better evangelists. So maybe you can kind of share a little bit. Uh, I know that this book is sort of like you started it many years ago, rather you released a version of it many years ago and and you have a revised version of it now. Maybe you can just share with a little bit our listeners, you know, what the book means, what it's for, its purpose, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Well, you know, 40 years ago, I had just moved back from living in Belgium for four years and I was really concerned about a lot of the confusion going on at that time. You know, lots of priests and nuns were leaving the priesthood and sisterhood. Uh, uh, moral theologians were beginning to, you know, publish articles saying, well, maybe if people really love each other, it's okay, and that type of thing about sexual morality. And missionary orders were beginning to say, well, since there's seeds of the gospel in every religion, maybe we don't need to really preach the gospel anymore, but we could work for human development. So I, I really was concerned. I felt like, gee, uh, I, I need to do something about this. So I did write a book called uh, Crisis of Truth, the attack on faith, morality, and mission in the Catholic Church, and it, it helped a lot of people. We, we just had Monsignor Charles Pope out here a couple of weeks ago for a seminar for priests and deacons and on preaching, and he began his first talk by saying when he read that as a seminarian, it saved his faith, it saved his vocation type of mm. thing. I think you're right, that if you can identify the deceptions, if you can put a name on the problems, it gives you a freedom from them and gives you a clarity so you know what's going on. You're just no longer in a haze of confusion or anxiety or worry or fear, but you can actually name it. Right after, then when COVID came last year, I had to cancel all my international and domestic travel. We do a lot of mission work in other countries. And uh, I, I really had a chance to kind of address like what seemed to me a recurrence of the same problems you know, under uh, John Paul II and Benedict XVI, it seemed like a lot of this confusion and undermining of faith and morality had been dealt with. A lot of theologians had been corrected. Uh, mm. You know, a lot, a lot of good stuff had happened. But it seems just seeing you know, when Pope Francis became Pope, uh, somehow it all is back again. And I'm not not blaming it on, on Pope Francis, but you know, I think his his very sincere desire to open the church to more dialogue and. Uh, his his desire to he says let's make a mess you know like he's he's less concerned about keeping things neat and tidy shall we say and so a lot of people took that as uh, as liberty to begin to kind of push the boundaries again and, and not for evangelization but pushing the boundaries in a way that seems to be undermining Christian truth again you know some of the same trends in moral theology were back again some of the same emphasis on the mission of the church being improving this world primarily, uh, maybe a lack of faith in the importance of reconciliation with God and the forgiveness of sins, stuff like that. So when COVID hit, I had time. And so I wrote this new book called A Church in Crises, Pathways Forward. And I'm really encouraged because it was published on the feast day of St. John Paul II last year, October 22nd. So it's just been out, you know, just a slightly more than a year. Mm -hmm. And it's already been through three printings, uh, They've already translated and published it in Poland because I feel like some of the same trends that are happening here in the United States are coming into Poland. Uh, I just gave a YouTube talk, uh, a Zoom talk uh, to people in Lithuania a couple of weeks ago who's saying that the whole woke culture, the whole political correctness thing is coming strongly into Lithuania and the church seems not to know how to deal with it. And, you know, could you address that? So I just feel like... Uh, this thing's happening today, and there's a new dimension to it. It's all the levers of power, all the levers of influence in our culture are now in the hands of people who are truly hostile to Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. They really see the true Jesus and the true church as an obstacle to their plan to create a new global order or whatever you want to call it. And the uh, technological elites and the uh, governmental elites are really trying to uh, move things in a certain direction. And... The church seems at the time when it most needs to speak a clear word, it seems a little gun shy, seems a little timid, it seems a little afraid maybe. And so I hope the book, this book can help. Yeah, and, and it really has, it certainly has helped uh, our team reading it. And I mean, I have friends, colleagues, uh, family members 
that, um, and, and you have said it, uh, that there's so much confusion uh, going on right now in the church, the lack of clarity and the um, misunderstanding of the church's teaching. Uh, and, you, and you identify quite a bit of that in the book. But as I open this interview with you, you have a way about being hopeful and, and loving and really sharing the faith in a way that it uh, shows a lot of empathy and, and a love for the person who's reading it to really for the bottom line is to save their soul, right? So maybe you, yeah, could, you, could, uh, maybe you could share a little bit of that where the, the, where the hope is in the church. Because sometimes, you know, I'm trying to share that with colleagues and family members and say, look, you know, there's been stuff like this in the past and 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 the hope is in Jesus. Maybe you can kind of share a little bit of that. Yeah, I actually just did a YouTube video uh, called Where's the Hope? And you're right, it's in Jesus. But a lot of times people say, Ralph, you probably know more of what's going wrong in the church and the world <laughs> and a lot of people. And aren't you discouraged? And I'm not discouraged at all. And the reason why is that everything that's happening is happening under the promise of God. Nothing's happening that God doesn't permit to happen. And even the negative things that are happening, he's got a plan to bring good out of. Now, you might say, what, what could the good possibly be? Well, maybe he wants wickedness and infidelity to be brought to the surface to give people a chance to repent, or if not, to be judged. Maybe he wants the church to be purified. Maybe he really does want people to truly be disciples and not just be lukewarm Catholics. And maybe he wants people to make a choice now in a, in a way they never had to make before when there was a harmony between the church and culture. You know, that harmony is no longer there. I, I remember growing up in Teaneck, New Jersey, where had a strong Jewish population, Protestant population, and Catholic population. I know now the population has changed, but uh, there was a general respect for you go to the synagogue, you Ten Commandments are respected. People go to church on Sunday. Uh, there was just uh, premarital sex wasn't celebrated. You know, everybody didn't live a moral life, but it wasn't like rebelled against. It wasn't like celebrated. Immorality wasn't celebrated, you know. And, and, and now that's not the case. I mean, we're living in a culture that really proudly renounces the Word of God, proudly renounces the Ten Commandments. And so we're in a situation where Catholics are going to say, hey, what do I really believe? Who do I really trust? Who am I going to really follow? And when, you know, discipleship is a new buzzword in the church right now, and, uh, but real discipleship is pretty radical. I mean, Jesus says, you know, unless you love me more than mother and father, you're not worthy to be a disciple of mine. So Jesus is saying that I've got to be first in your life. And he's not saying it because he doesn't think we should love our parents or he doesn't want life to be good for us. But he's saying it because he knows that everything works best when they're properly related to God. You know, God created us. He has a plan for us. He has a plan for marriage and family life. He created us male and female. Uh, he intends for us to have in, in holy marriage, a sexual relationship that's open to having children. And so, I mean, any any exercise of the sexual faculty outside of the plan of God hurts people. You know, Jesus isn't telling us these things. The church isn't telling us these things because they want to deprive us of happiness. It's because they want to lead us to happiness. So everything that's happening is happening on the promise of God. He's got a plan to bring good out of it. But my main reason for hope is that Jesus really is the Lord. Mm. He's not scared. He's not nervous. He hasn't lost control. He's not worried about how it's going to work out. He's the Lord. And he's going to come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And right now, it's a time for us to make decisions. And, you know, we need to decide either for or against him. And uh, he's going to give us every help he can to help us decide for him, just like he gave me the help to decide for him. I really needed help. He's going to give everybody the help they need to decide for him. But unfortunately, we can sometimes stupidly, perversely, wickedly, ignorantly say no to the God who made us, to Jesus, who's trying to bring us back to paradise, who's trying to lead us back to the Father's house. And all he's saying is, take a hold of me, get a hold of me, join me, uh, eat my body, drink my blood, stay with me, and I'll bring you home. And not only that, I'll give you eternal life. And, you know, what price could you pay for eternal life? Never, never could pay for eternal life, never could pay for resurrection from the dead. Nobody can ever accomplish it, no matter how many computer chips they, they place in dying human bodies. We're never going to have eternal life. Eternal life isn't just the prolongation of the life of suffering here on earth. 
It's, it's the glory of the risen Jesus. It's being able to walk through walls and go anywhere we want, still have bodies and still eat. So, man, it's going to be cool. Heaven's going to be really great. Can't wait. <laughs> uh, yeah. It seems that our, our culture, uh, the word sin doesn't no longer exist. And uh, so many things are permitted now and, and acceptable, as you, you know, as you clearly stated. So um, let me ask another question. So who will be saved? Uh, how these false ideas about universal uh, salvation has really crippled evangelization? Yeah. Well, this is one of my main concerns because I think it's one of Satan's biggest victories. Uh, if I were to describe how many of our fellow Catholics look at the world today, I'd describe it something like this. Mm -hmm. Broad and wide is the way that leads to heaven, and almost everybody's going that way. Narrow is the door that leads to hell, difficult to road, and hardly anybody's going that way. Now, this is very troubling because it really is what I think most Catholics believe about the situation today. God is so merciful, nobody will be ever lost. But unfortunately, it's just the opposite of what Jesus himself tells us the situation is. The default situation of the human race isn't saved, isn't friendship with God. The default situation of the human race is lost, is alienated from God. And, and Jesus says, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many are traveling that way. Narrow is the door that leads to life, difficult the road, and few there are who are finding it. Now, Jesus didn't say this because this is how he wants it to be, how it has to be. People who are currently on the broad road heading to destruction don't have to stay there. They could get off it. And that's where our prayer, our love comes in. That's where evangelization comes in. That's why giving a, a reason for the hope we have as Christians comes in to friends and relatives, you know. If we really love our, our children, our friends and relatives, we're not just going to be praying for them to get healed of their diseases or to get good jobs or get, get solved their marriage problems, all of which we should pray for. But we should be praying for their conversion. We should be praying for the repentance. We should be praying for them to enter into friendship with Jesus. But Jesus says, unless you believe, you're going to die in your sins. And the only tragedy in life is to die in our sins with hard hearts, unrepenting, not believing, not accepting the love of God, not responding to it with faith and repentance. But chapter two of my book is titled, uh, Is There a Solid Place to Stand? And there is a solid place to stand in this sea of confusion, but we have to recover our confidence in the inspiration and inerrancy of sacred scripture. And Vatican II has a tremendous document on divine revelation, a Dei Verbum, and in section 11, it says that everything asserted by the sacred authors should be considered to be asserted by the Holy Spirit, and to teach firmly, faithfully, and without error those truths which God wished to consign to the sacred writings for the sake of our salvation. Mm. It, also says, it also says in that document that God himself is the primary author of Scripture, working through human beings, but guiding their words, guiding their formulations, using their culture, using their language, but reliably conveying to us who Jesus is, what he said, so that we can really know God's will and really enter into real relationship with the real Jesus. Ralph, what can I do for you? Is there anything that you want to talk about, One of your, a couple of your books or your organization? I, I'm such a fan of your work and uh, how you're spreading the gospel and how you're bringing people to Christ. Uh, let us know how we can do that. Well, maybe we could just let people know where they can get the book we've been talking about. You know, it's called The Church in Crises Pathways Forward. You could get it at Renewal Ministries. You just go to renewalministries.net and you can get it there and it helps us the most, but you can also get it on Amazon or, you know, anywhere you can get your cell phone out and go to Amazon and click on it. And who knows a drone may drop it on your head in two hours. <laughs> it's possible. Well, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and tell us a little bit about the work of Renew Ministries. Sure. Well, we're, we're trying to help people know Lord Jesus. Uh, we're trying to strengthen the church. We have a uh, mission work in 30, 40 different countries we just had a team come back from Cameroon and Africa, another team come back from Tanzania, another team come back from uh, Slovakia, the Czech Republic. Uh, we have a team going to Mexico in a few weeks. And so we just go to these countries and we try to help people uh, 
grow in faith in Jesus, come to conversion. Uh, we do training for lay leaders. We do retreats for priests and sometimes bishops. Uh, and then we also have a weekly television program called The Choices We Face, which is the longest running Catholic television program on EWTN. We have two daily Catholic radio programs. Uh, uh, we, we do a lot of stuff just to try to strengthen the church. Last month, I did the annual clergy convocation for the Diocese of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, gave, uh, you know, I think five talks for the priests in, in Richmond, Virginia diocese. Uh, after Easter, I'm doing the annual retreat for the Friars of the Renewal, which you probably know there from the New York area. Oh, we love them. Yeah. yeah. So I'm doing their annual retreat the week after Easter, the week Beautiful. after Christmas. And, uh, you know, other members of our team are reaching out to young people. We have an organization for young adults named ID intentional discipleship. We have something for high school girls and high school boys and uh, just trying to help people in whatever we, what way we can strengthen their faith and uh, become disciples themselves. So people go to our website, renewalministries.net to find out more about any of those things. Great. We'll put it on the video when we release it. Well, listen, uh, Ralph, thank you so much for sharing your time with me. It's been fun catching up with you and, and God bless you and, and all your good work. And you too, Mario, and your daughter, whom I met with you and your family and your work. God Thank bless you. you. God bless you yeah. too. We've come to the end of another podcast, and thanks for hanging out with us today. I want to remind you to please share this with others. The more people that know about our work, the more lives Jesus can save. I want to thank our donors and our supporters. You can also become part of the Array of Hope family by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. So stay in touch with us throughout the week on social media where we keep you engaged through music, videos, daily reflections, all kinds of fun, great stuff. Also, every day, we want to let you know that we're on Instagram praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet live at 3 p.m. So please join us as we pray with the Universal Church. Our guest next time will be Kelly Walquist. She is a lot of fun and doing some great work within the church. This is going to be a great interview. you got to check it out. So listen, thanks for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. <laughs>